I really think it was our mother who instilled the sense of home. There's nothing more wonderful than having a home where your family is happy and you love welcoming your friends and you love making them feel at home. I kept pushing my dreams in the apartment. So it was kind of a canvas, of a dream canvas, really. Welcome to the Ideas of Order podcast, designed by California Closets. This is a show dedicated to answering the question, what does home mean to you? I'm Jeremiah Brent, and with the help of some of my closest friends, we are ready to open our doors to you. Every time I visit a new city, I try to pause and listen to its heartbeat. There's a unique rhythm of footsteps and metropolitan rumblings anywhere you go. Paved streets guide you through boroughs and different neighborhoods that are full of all different resident stories. There are these decades of memories on every corner and each interaction and intersection is a celebration of community. It's this reminder that the connectedness and staying present is our greatest strength. Today, I am joined by somebody who has shaped the foundation of modern design as we know it. As a leader in the international design community, her impact is truly imprinted on the DNA of the industry. Design editor for Curved and New York Magazine and the author of The World of Gloria Vanderbilt and May I Come In, our guest has guided the direction of design through the new millennia. Please join me in welcoming design expert and seminal voice in the world of culture, my friend, Wendy Goodman. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. I wanted to start by kind of looking at the early life of Wendy Goodman. You know, were there any particular spaces when you look back that really helped shape your keen aesthetic or career trajectory? As you moved through your early life, is there a space when you look back that you really felt held? Well, I have to say that the two houses our mother created, the apartment we all grew up in, in New York City, and also the house that they built in Long Island on the water as a sort of country house for kids, lots of animals. And I think that my mother's genius was she was very, very independent and she never worked with anybody. But what she did do was she, I think she picked up ideas she saw in other people's houses and she picked up ideas she saw maybe at an auction or maybe in a museum. And she just incorporated these ideas into our living spaces, which were, they were not fancy ever. They were cozy. They were practical. They were beautiful because both my parents had a real sense of just authentic kind of artistry. They both were artists. My father was a surgeon, but he also did wonderful watercolors. And my mother was really an artist. She was a textile designer before they got married. And she continued to paint her whole life until she couldn't see anymore. But I think the thing that influenced me most and is really in my soul is 
where I grew up because I always couldn't wait to get home from school. I knew the house would be humming with activity, that, you know, whatever was cooking would smell delicious for dinner. And it was really a safe haven, I will say. And my friends also felt that. They loved to come over because they knew that, you know, I think kids also love order. There was order. It was not formal, but, you know, there was like a schedule, like dinner was a certain time. And I really think it was our mother who instilled the sense of home. How do you describe the design of the apartment you grew up in? Like, what did it look like? Were your parents minimalist? Were they maximalist? Like, were they contemporary, traditional? Like, what did it look like? Well, that's a great question. Okay, the apartment was one of those big pre-war apartments. There was a big entrance hall that my mother did in black and white tiles. The tiles usually come small, so she put them all together and made big, big black and white tiles. And then every room had a little entrance hall with a big walk-in closet. So you had this kind of gracefulness. And so my mother, she loved pegboard, so she had pegboard in the you know broom closet, which was just left pegboard brown. And then in my father's studies, she put pegboard all over his wall so she could hang hooks and then hang things like a wood angel that they bought in Europe somewhere. And she could hang paintings and she could hang anything that really caught her fancy. So she made this kind of wonderful creative hub where she and my father would go to auctions together. The apartment was really furnished from things that they found together, either traveling or my mother would go to auctions. It was very much an eclectic mix. It wasn't really a style. You couldn't say it was modern and you couldn't say it was sort of classical. It was really what they loved and what they collected at that time. So I would say practical beauty is the only way I can really describe her taste. I've read a couple of times that you've said that you're constantly trying to recreate the apartment you grew up in. Yes. What is it about that apartment that you're trying to recreate exactly? I think I'm trying to recreate especially the wonderful place for my friends to come and share time with me or to entertain them. I think that there's nothing more wonderful than having a home where your family is happy and you know you love welcoming your friends and you love making them feel at home. So I think the thing that I really came away with was because my parents had this wonderful social life that, you know, just with friends, they would have dinner parties and they'd have cocktail parties and the kids would be with the grown-ups. So it was this kind of mashup of different ages and everybody enjoying everybody and the adults treating the kids like, oh, you're interesting people, even though you're kids. And I always wonder, you know, your parents both being artists and they would throw these massive dinner parties and that you'd have with different creatives and performers. How does that community and those people and those experiences influence you when you look back? Well, I think that all of us were exposed to a very special creative kind of tribe in New York City back in that day. And my parents' friends were either in the theater, they were writers, or they were actors, or they were photographers. So it was a really creative group of people who, what you sensed being with them was their joy and their love of what they did. I never felt 
that people were just doing a job to work. And of course, everyone had to earn money and to support themselves. But I sensed that there was a great joy in doing the work that people did. I also sensed, even though I wasn't sure how that would play out in my life, I thought, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love. Because I would feel the energy of my father going off to the hospital every day. And I think, he really looks forward to doing that. And I thought, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. When I grow up, I'm supposed to like what I'm going to do, whatever that's going to be. Is that how you began your career in fashion? I mean, was fashion your first love? No, I wanted to be an actor. I went to NYU School of the Arts. I studied with Stella Adler. I thought, oh, I'm going to be an actor. But I started auditioning after getting out of school. And then I thought, you know what? I don't have the drive you have to have as an actor. There are so many things I want to do. And really what I wanted to do more than anything was work and be part of the world. So I took the first job I could find, which was a magazine. It was a fashion magazine, Harper's Bazaar. And I ended up my first paying job being Anna Winter's assistant when she had just come to the United States and landed in New York City. So it was trial by fire because Anna was exactly the way she is today, back then, as a very, very young professional. I want to understand what it was like as fashion editor at New York Magazine in the 80s. Like, what was that like? Well, Anna asked me to come and do a freelance styling job for her pages because she was at New York Magazine later. And I ended up doing that. And then when Anna left for British Vogue, I was asked to replace her. You can't replace Anna Wintour, but I was asked to be the fashion editor of New York Magazine. And at that time, I had freelance clients but I thought, I'm really, really scared to do this, so I guess I have to do it because it was a big challenge. I produced everything. I wrote the stories. It was very fun because it was also at a time when fashion designers had their own labels and were not owned by big companies. It was really scrappy. You know, Perry Ellis and Marc Jacobs's first show. And it was so exciting and so much fun. It was the beginning. Yeah, it was. So you're working in fashion, yeah. successful in your industry. I'm trying to understand, like, how do you go from working in fashion to becoming interested in interiors? Was there always a fascination with interior design and spaces, or was it something that just kind of happened naturally? It was both. What happened was I had always loved interiors, and I was always fascinated by the way people lived and always wanted to get behind the scenes of how they lived. And then at New York Magazine, as the fashion editor, I was taken to a restaurant by many different fashion designers called La Granouille, this beautiful French restaurant that was on 52nd Street. I absolutely fell in love with this little carriage house that the restaurant was in. And I learned the story of the family that owned the restaurant. And I learned the story about the paintings in the restaurant. And I thought, I really want to do a story on this for New York Magazine, but I'm the fashion editor, so how do I actually maneuver this? Anyway, it took me a year to get the courage to take my Polaroids that I'd taken at the restaurant scouting. To ask Ed Kosner, then the editor-in-chief of New York Magazine, I said, I have a story I'd really, really like to do. It's not fashion. Here it is. And he said, well, do it. 
that started the whole thing because I did do that story and I thought, hmm, this is really what I want to do. What was it about interiors that really captivated you? Well, this particular one had an amazing history because the building was the carriage house for the Platt Mansion, which was the Cartier building. And oh, it was all this incredible history. And then the history of all the different artists who came to stay in the upstairs part of the restaurant after the Second World War, a lot of immigrants. So I thought, this is really hitting all the notes for me. I love history. I love writing. I love telling stories. I love learning about people. I mean, I loved fashion and I loved investigating fashion like a producer, you know. It all kind of came together. I saw those two worlds as really being very copacetic. Yeah, there's so many parallels between interior design. Was there like a first space that you consciously recall thinking, this is beautiful in its design? Well, I have to say that when we were little, our parents took us to Christmas parties at Gloria Vanderbilt's house. Now, Gloria Vanderbilt had different residences. The first one I ever went to, I was really young, was at 10 Gracie Square, her Christmas party. And what stays in my mind to this day is that the house, when you walked into this apartment, the first thing you felt was, the lighting was absolutely beautiful. It felt like it was all candlelight, even though it probably was not. And also the smell was so beautiful. It smelled of Rigo candles, it smelled of flowers. And I just thought, you know, as a little girl, my senses were kind of overwhelmed. And I thought, this is magic, you know? And then she appears dressed in this most magical, beautiful evening gown. And I just thought, I didn't quite know. It was so different from the way we lived, and it was enchantment. You know, that has stayed with me, the way she was able to create an entire experience for her guests. It was really like a fairy tale. I mean, it's everything you think it's going to be. It really was. It was. shift and look at the present and look at Wendy Goodman today. You know, having been, in my opinion, such a beacon in the world of design and a reflection of diligence and authenticity, how have your spaces throughout this time grown to evolve with you? That is such a good question. Well, the last apartment I had before I moved this year, I was in for 27 years. I had broken up with my boyfriend. I was absolutely at my wits end. And I was looking at a place to move to and found this apartment before it was on the market. And before I could actually move into it, I thought, oh my gosh, it's got two bedrooms. It's got a working fireplace. It's got really high ceilings. There's a beautiful garden that I overlook. I just thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, it was so perfect. So then I moved in. And then over the years, I was able to create like my absolute perfect dream apartment. I was able to entertain there by the fire in the winter. And I was able to work there. I had my own office in the apartment. I was able to treat it like I owned it, even though I was just a renter. So I had a friend of mine paint flowers all over the wall of my bedroom. I mean, I 
kept pushing my dreams in the apartment and experimenting and trying them out. So it was kind of a canvas, uh, a dream canvas, really. You describe it just like you described your childhood home. It's really beautiful. I know that moving out of that house and you're in kind of like a, well, not really a transition anymore because you're in the new apartment. How are you settling in? <laughs> well, I have to say you are very right. I still am in transition because the apartment is in a very different type of building. It's a post-war building. You know, I've always lived in brownstones my entire life since I was an adult. What I'm still adjusting to is how... Um, pared down everything is. I had to deal with the amount of books I had and give so many away. And I had to get rid of some really lovely pieces of furniture just because downsizing was a real issue and it still is. So I have yet to hang my art and it needs that sort of push. You know, you do certain things when you move in and then you go, okay, done. But then the next stage has to happen. And I think I'll feel much more at home once that happens. Are you striving to make it feel like your last house or do you want it to feel different? I think it's got to feel different because the shell is so different. You know, it's not that pre-war brownstone. It's a post-war modern building. So I'm making the adjustment so it doesn't look like a crazy person lives there, you know, trying to recreate like Mrs. Havisham. Like, oh yeah, we're going <laughs> to hang. No, I, I'm going to sort of accept its modernity and go with that and kind of decorate it accordingly. I mean, I have this bright orange carpet. Where that came from in my head, who knows? But that certainly isn't what I lived with in the past. It's pretty different. That's exciting. Does it feel like home yet? It does sometimes, but I keep going, why do I still feel like I'm in a play, in a set, but who am I in this play? I still feel a little bit like that. I know it can obviously be difficult kind of finding time for yourself and the chaos of day to day, especially you, you never stop. You know, have you implemented any daily rituals where you take time to recenter meditation or a cup of coffee? Like, is there a ritualistic touchstone for you that grounds you every day? Oh, that's a really good question. I've thought about it a lot because I don't think enough, but I will say this, that in the best time for me is in the morning when I wake up and I know that no matter what my call time is or what I have to do, if it's five in the morning, I'll get up at three. If it's seven, I'll get up. You know, I need time by myself in the morning with major strong coffee to just sort of center myself for what is ahead. And I love that time of day. You know, if you get up early, you kind of own the day. And I just love walking also. And you know what? It sounds weird, but I love taking the subway because A, it enables me to do what I do, scouting as much as I do. And also, I just feel it's like the city's living room. I feel like, oh, here I am with all my New York City family. I feel a kind of camaraderie with everyone. And I also love the freedom that I can just get wherever I need to go on that subway. It's just like I'm free. I don't need to get in a car. I don't need to drive a car. I can get there on my own. It's kind of the veins of the city. It's like one of those things where I always try to describe living in the city, but you're part of the world here. And that's not always beautiful. And then the city takes from you, but it gives so much too. Absolutely. And I think what you said is so important. You're part of life. 
it's a love-hate. Some days I'm just like so fed up. Sometimes it's all too much life. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> there really is. As we kind of look forward for you, what do you think, and this is perfect for you right now, what's the most imperative for future Wendy? For future Wendy, the most imperative is for me to keep working and to be engaged with the things I love because, you know, we have a limited amount of time here, but I pray that my time here is always engaged in something and I can give back and I can tell stories and I can somehow be engaged with the world, you know, and just keep my curiosity kind of stoked and productive. Being productive, I think, is the thing that matters to me the most. And creating. And creating, yes. Is there any aesthetics that you hope like make a more resounding impact in the future of design? Oh, what a good question. I think the most interesting spaces for me are always the ones that really tell the story of the person. So those aesthetics are quite diverse. And like, for instance, Cecil Beaton's home, Ashcombe, I love. And then there's an amazing house. Tony Duquette, of course, is someone who always has intrigued me and his crazy aesthetic, which was just magical. Francis Brody had this amazing house, a very modern Billy Haynes house. Billy Haynes decorated in Los Angeles that Ellen DeGeneres, in fact, bought and I think has sold. But there's so many beautiful amazing aesthetics that are very different from mine, but nevertheless, I just love seeing them because they are the authentic expression of that person. I love that. My like deepest hope for the future, also for myself as a creative, but just in general design, is to see more personalization, less vanilla, cookie cutter, really showing people your home can be the physical representation of so much about not only who you were, but who you are, also where you want to be. And it makes me think about when you describe your childhood apartment and looking back at your whole career and all the houses you've seen, everything you've written about, what you've seen. What have you learned about the power of memory and design? Well, Billy Baldwin said, it's in the beginning of my book, May I Come In?, Nothing is interesting, I think I'm paraphrasing, unless it's personal. So I think that the deeper people dig into the things that really engage them, the things that really make them happy, whether it's color, texture, fabric, art, I think the more people dig into their own creative beings, and everyone's creative, they may not know it, but everybody is. I think if they can trust that little voice that goes, oh, I really like that, and then There might be another voice that goes, no, you can't have that. That's like so crazy. Well, that was sort of that voice tried to tell me, oh, you can't have a bright orange carpet. Are you crazy? And then I thought, oh, yeah, I can. I I can have a bright orange carpet right now. So I think that the more people let go of what they think they should be doing, what they think they should be showing, what they think they should be wearing, and the more they go into their selves and really take a good look at who they are, what they like, and what makes them happy, that's the direction they need to go. (laughs) 
Okay, so we've reached the part of our conversation where we're gonna get a little cozier. As we imagine that there's a nice fire crackling behind us, I wanted to ask you a few more candid and off-the-cuff questions at Ideas of Order. Uh, we have a lot to say about the concept of comfort and growth, both in the home and in life. So for this little fireside tete-a-tete, it's just you and me and a couple of quick fire questions to dig a little deeper. Okay. What has home taught you? That is the most important place in a person's life. What is the most surprising space that you've ever loved? I think the glass house. I never expected to love aspects of Philip Johnson's glass house until I actually walked into it and thought, wow, this is absolutely ingenious. I never thought I'd even like it. When do you feel the most at home? I feel the most at home when I've come back from a really great day of work and I close the door behind me and I go, oh, I can relax, I can take off my shoes and I can just relax and I can think about, I can just be happy. Uh, well, Wendy, you know what? You make me so happy. Thank you for doing this and taking time out of your busy schedule. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. I'm really, really honored. We are all such intricate and dynamic beings. Each of us is made up of our greatest lessons, our deepest passions, and irreplaceable relationships. As we evolve, grow, and respond to the way the world shapes us, there is an art to staying rooted in what has been, while still welcoming what's to come. What's to come for us as individuals, and what's to come for us as a community? Join me on our next episode where I talk to designer, culinary storyteller, and New York Times modern-day Martha Stewart, Athena Calderon, about the joy of embarking on new journeys and the bittersweet element of bidding farewell to a well-loved space. For more Ideas of Order, please visit ideasoforder.com or californiaclosets.com. I'm Jeremiah Brent. You guys, thank you so much for being here today, and we'll see you again soon. No small feats. We did it. I mean, at Rocket Science, I'm just like, <laughs> whoa. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.